The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. To hedge or not to hedge? And what does hedging actually mean? Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm here with Bob French and a very special guest, Wade Fowl, to talk hey. about all things inflation. What will happen? I've been demoted. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's, there's only two hosts, Wade. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you didn't check your I mean, emails be before the, the start of this? <laughs> if that was the case, Wade would be so happy to be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Free at last night. <laughs> He'd be commemorating. No yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, Wade, we all we all need you to, you know, get absorb in your in your knowledge here. And so we're talking about inflation and Bob, speaking about inflation, Wade's been working out. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to inflate those muscles. I was wondering who was going to be making that joke, and I, I kind of <laughs> knew it was going to be you, Alex. Wade's been working out. Wade's been working out. Actually, I've been doing it with my kids as well over the last two two months or so. But Wade's on the kick, right, Wade? No, no. I was at a conference, and I don't think we've had Jamie Hopkins on the show yet. We should do no, that. No, we haven't. Was, I've been on his show, but... Uh, Find out he does 100 push-ups a day, and that's all he does. He never goes to the gym, and he's getting incredibly buff. So I'm inspired to. <laughs> you know what? I say that about Bob all the time, regardless if it works out or not. That's right. <laughs> it's been one of the play. I'd work here for free just to do Zoom meetings with Bob. <laughs> Wait, what the hell? Okay. Whoa, we're talking about inflation. All right, let's go back. Let's go back to inflation. <laughs> I think we've we've probably exhausted her small talk for the first whatever. Oh <laughs> Although inflation. Right. Inflation. Yeah, inflation, we should talk more about and it. The specific working title is Approaches to Dealing with Inflation. Approaches and Bob, to Dealing with Inflation. You did a workshop recently with the Retirement Research Academy on this very topic, I did. right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, earlier this week, or well, when this comes out last week, uh, for those of you who are in the academy, uh, you know you had that that workshop. The recordings are already up there for you. Um, but no, we did a, a really deep dive on you know how you can go about you know dealing with inflation uh, within your retirement income plan. Um, you know, just to because it is something that needs to be in there. Um, and there's a, as we're going to be talking about today, you know, a whole bunch of different approaches that you can be using. Um, and just like everything else within planning, uh, there's certainly some wrong ways to do it. And we'll touch on some of those, but there's a whole bunch of right ways to do it. And it's just a question of, you know, what works for you? You know, how do you feel comfortable dealing with these sorts of issues? What trade-offs are you good with? Nice. And, yeah, and, and I, 
we'll summarize that just with, so we'll talk about social security, which is always the, the standard for that. <laughs> and then investments-based approaches, tips, ladders, and annuities is kind of the outline for what we're going to discuss today. But before that, uh, this is a quick, wait, I didn't get this. When you do push-ups, do you do them with your elbows out or you do your elbows in like those, <laughs> like, like CrossFit push-ups? Which, which ones? Elbows are you into? out. I, elbows out. I don't know there the elbows go. in method. I don't know. It's there, tougher. There's yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you just and, described the elbows in method there. <laughs> what about you, Bob? You I, look, like a, you look like a health. Myself. You look like a health nut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and please write in. We'll take an informal poll for all of you listening to the podcast. Please write in the comments what push-ups you do. There we go. <laughs> No, we got a challenge going on. I'm going to ask Wade every podcast, podcast. Did he do his? Did he do push pushups from the previous week? Right, Wade. Yeah, it's going to take me a little while to work up to 100 a day, but that's 100 a day. Is, well, you mean 100 in one shot too? You're not like not not successively, not, like not 10 throughout the day. In yeah, Jamie does it 50 a day, twice a day. That's at least that's kind of what he's settled into. So that's I don't know. The, now, the question is, does he actually do this? Does it go all the way or down? Or does he just, do, just say he does? <laughs> I think he's doing it. I don't okay. know. Good for him. And does, does it go all the way down? No, it's, you know, you do <laughs> those like, <laughs> you do those like butt I, I up assume, push-ups yeah, and they're not the same. <laughs> it would at least take a few minutes to do this, but it, there's something, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like 100 push-ups in 80 seconds or something. So then I asked that very question. I, it's hard to go all the way up and down if you're doing it that fast. I, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, that I didn't sounds like in eighty seconds. <laughs> so I, I'm making. I'm not making that up. It's something like that. I'm making it up a little bit. Well, if it Nicholas was definitely Cage a lot more and, than one push up per second. I remember that it, much. If Nicholas Cage and Angelina Jolie can steal a car in sixty seconds, <laughs> <laughs> they can definitely. You can. Damien I mean, can it, definitely it's do. Easier to do a push up than hundred push ups in eighty seconds. So. Bob, what's that reference to? Come on now. And it's not a 70s reference. Or anything. There you go. You see? You go. That has to be like a late 90s, 2000 or something like that? I was, I was must have been in high school. I'm trying to remember exactly when it came out. Yeah. I thought high school would be a little foggy for you, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this this Northeastern in Maine or wherever the hell you were. <laughs> I was in New Hampshire. I was in New, New Hampshire. Hampshire. Even better. Town, though, yeah. so. <laughs> it was a little touch and go there for a few years. For Bob. We are, we are definitely going to be getting some emails about this episode. All right. Inflation. Sorry. Go on. Yeah, Bob, let's, let's start with Social Security. <laughs> if you guys were, this is a podcast, but if you saw Wade's like, and Bob just like spilled his drink. <laughs> All right. Take two or three. Inflation. Okay. Social no. security. Let's start with social security because it's, yeah. for most people, a, the most significant source of inflation adjusted income that they're going to have. Yeah. Not even just inflation adjusted income, the most significant source of income they're going to have that in their retirement mm-hmm. income plan. Um, it is an incredibly powerful kind of baseline level. And the nice thing is, you know, it kind of covers the most essential of your spending. Um, you know, a little while back, I've referenced these numbers uh, a number of times in different places. 
uh, Marlena Lee over at Dimensional, she did a study looking at replacement rates. Uh, you know, how much of your pre-retirement income do you spend, you know, in retirement? And as part of that, she really wanted to get at, you know, basically how much do your investments need to to cover of that? And, you know, she broke it out between the amount covered by savings and the amount covered by Social Security. And what she found is that, you know, by and large, you know, aside from, you know, say that top quartile of people pre-retirement, you know, the people with the highest 25% of earnings pre-retirement, you know, it represented at least half of their spending uh, in retirement. You know, the other half being half or less being the stuff they've saved up through time. And it's not that much less even in that top quartile. So, you know, that's incredibly important. Um, you know, you get that and that is inflation adjusted income. That is real income. Um, you know, so the message there is make sure you maximize it. Make sure you you optimize it. Um, you know, and Wade, you've done you know, a whole workshop on this. Uh, but the rule of thumb is unless you need that income earlier or you have some real reason to believe you aren't going to be living that long, probably just wait until you're 70 to maximize that income through time. Yeah. And to be clear, that's for the average American entering retirement. That's really the end of the podcast episode because they're not going to have a lot of other resources beyond social security. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> episode 96 in the books. There we go. But for listeners, you may uh, be in a position where you do have opportunities to go above and beyond social security and to yep. look for inflation protection with other assets as well. But but you're, what you said, Bob, is right. It's just... <clears throat> As a starting point, the biggest source of income people have is generally their social security benefits. Mm -hmm. If you look at the present value of their lifetime benefits for a higher earning couple, it can be in excess of a million dollars. And that mm -hmm. may be a lot larger than any other asset they have. So step one of thinking about inflation, maximize your social security. Make sure you're making smart decisions in relation to social security. Now, Bob, the next thing on your list for social or for uh, inflation protection, you want to talk about crypto and yeah, this, commodities. This is and the real fun estate. stuff. This is <laughs> this is the stuff that just doesn't work. Um, you know, one of the things that but now it doesn't work as a hedge against inflation, or doesn't work as like as a general matter, or well, both. I'll, or I'll say whatever. one and a half of them don't work. So we got three <laughs> on the list here. One of them a half. One and a half of them work, just as part of your investment portfolio. Um, the, the other ones just don't. So, and I wanted to include this because these are some of the most common things I hear with regards to inflation. Um, you know, the list is commodity. Can you hedge com uh, inflation with commodities? Can you use crypto? Um, that's the one that just straight up doesn't work across the board. And I know, Alex, you've got comments on that one, but we'll walk through it. And then the third one is actually real estate. Uh, and, and there's some really interesting conversation to be had around that one. And so, commodities, gold specifically or commodities in general? Commodities in general, everyone will come with, you know, gold, silver, oil, whatever it might happen to be. The inherent logic is that actually the same. Commodities are just stuff. They're just a thing. It's a lump of metal or a barrel of oil. 
It's something that's being acted upon. Um, it's what inflation is happening to, basically. Um, and when you look at the long-term data, or when you just look at the ideas around it and then it's confirmed by the long-term data, the expected return of commodities is basically inflation. Um, and when you look at the numbers, you know, if we're looking at, you know, since 91, you know, the, the commodities index, the Bloomberg Commodities Index had a return, annualized return of 2.9%. Over that same period, the U.S. CPI's return was 2.6%. It's just that the commodities had, you know, call it stock-like volatility. So you're not getting any higher return. You're taking on a ton of risk, and we're not seeing any actual hedging against inflation. You know, the, the correlation is, you know, not particularly good. It's about a 0.2 correlation, meaning that these things are not moving in the same way. You're not getting any additional protection from inflation from commodities. There. I, I think this is important because I keep on saying it. And look, regardless of whatever pitch man is on TV or if it's Sunday, you're like, skimming through the channels and you see these gold bullion commercials, silver commercials, or Billy Mays is selling like uh, whatever, uh, s- some sort of uh, thing on TV that has to do with gold or, or whatnot. <laughs> you know, like it's it, not it anything on TV anymore, Alex. It, 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 I think he died actually of a heart attack or something like that. <laughs> a while ago. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, who's the guy that does like the, the liquid? The, the Sham uh, Wow guy? The, no, the no, chop? no. No, that's a good one too. The the liquid thing that you know you put a hole in a boat and you float it. Why am I? I I'm not sure where you're going. You can with like this. have a hole in a boat, put a spray on it, and it like oh the Flex Seal guy, Flex yeah. Seal, yeah, 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 yeah. Even if he sells gold, it doesn't matter for you know it. And and what Bob said is important. Check it out. If the CPI inflation and we had that yesterday it's more like the cpfu kind of thing right but if the cpi is at 2.5 look above if the cpi is at 2.5 right and gold and commodities index return effectively two and change it's the same kind of return uh, roughly speaking it's the same kind of return but the variability of that return is 68 percent of the time inflation is going to be about three three and a half percent on the on the upside and maybe you know one and change on the on the lower end of it like the range is like one and four and a half right that's what he means by the standard deviation so even though the average is two and a half the range is like one four and a half whereas the range on commodities for the same return is effectively potentially what is it 17 or negative uh 11 any expected year that that's crazy to get to end at the same return so something that moves with that much variability statistically speaking cannot hedge against the other one it's just too much dispersion you statistically yeah, it's a can't. much more volatile experience that <laughs> right. on average gives you a slight edge over inflation but effectively yeah. as bob was saying and <laughs> it's basically the same volatility as stocks but a much lower yeah. expected return yeah, on stocks if i'm taking that volatility in my portfolio and not getting a specific inflation hedge um i kind of want the thing with the higher returns you know yeah. i'd much rather include something that i'm gonna get paid no for that I, I, the other thing that bob says i think it's actually as important commodities are an input 
they're used by companies to produce products and, and that kind of thing, but they don't make anything, right? So it, it it can't hedge. It doesn't it doesn't function. It's used by companies. So that's the good thing about commodities. But it's an input. It doesn't do anything. So there's no hedging going on or anything like that. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there, there are arguments for why it can why it can be reasonable to include in a portfolio. I'm not a big fan of it. I, I don't think the diversification benefits justify the lower return that's associated with it. But people I respect incredibly disagree with that. So, you know, that's where the, the half came in when I said one and a half of these are, you know, potential. Um, the one that is just straight up not is cryptocurrency. Now, I haven't been hearing it quite as much because it hasn't been quite as much well, in the AI news. AI kind of took the headlines. That AI did take over. But, you know, in terms of, you know, weighted average, how bad it is, um, you know, crypto is just a bad idea. It's not an inflation hedge. Uh, it's pure hype, pure speculation. There may be some interesting technology stuff on the back end. I, I'm getting less optimistic about it as years go on and we aren't seeing anything moving, but maybe there's something. It's um, not a good investment tool. Well, I, I get this. And it's still in the speculation play, right? And you need some sort of cathedral thinking behind this. Mm -hmm. And cathedral thinking and retirement income investors never the two shall meet, you know, in, in that sense. And what I mean by that is you're in the very early stages of something that has big dreams, right? And so I, I don't, I'm not as, what's the opposite of sanguine? <laughs> I'm not against it to, to the degree that Bob is. As an inflation hedge and all of that, you can't tell. There's not enough data, et cetera, et cetera, right? And will it ever do something? Look, the reality is, and Bob, Wade, and myself, we're not very learned people when it comes to the ins and outs of crypto. I mean, that, that's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want just want to discount it because to some extent it's in vogue to say it's great or it's in vogue to say these are nothing but Pokemon cards, you know, kind of thing. But I'll leave it at this. I, I, I think potentially there could be something there, mm -hmm. but we don't know right now. No, I, you know, honestly, as opposed to just discounting it. But as a hedge... The jury, you can't make yeah. that assumption at this point in the trajectory of crypto to say it's a hedge because three months ago, the S&P went down and Ethereum went up. That's that's stupid. Well, and this is retire with style. And when you, so specifically as a hedge for retirement, you have to worry about the sequence of returns as well. And, and the if it's much more volatile, which it is, that can create problems yeah. for retirees where if you have to spend that asset when it's suffering a major loss, you can deplete your asset base a lot quicker. So when we talk about inflation hedges for retirement, it's not just a matter of does it have growth that keeps up with inflation on average, but how volatile is it in the volatility mm -hmm. of crypto makes it, yeah, it not dwarfs. even less useful <laughs> than any, yeah. even if you give it some sort of benefit of doubt in the accumulation phase that's further out the window in the retirement distribution phase. Good yeah. point. So, uh, and then the last one I wanted to touch on here is, is real estate. You know, this is actually one that's really common, especially in outside of the U S 
you know, it's, it's used, you know, they're not making new land um, type of stuff. And yeah, that's sort of true. We're, we're building new houses. Uh, you know, we're using more land, especially in the U.S. Um, but this is another one where it's really a correlation story. So, you know, it, real estate does have, you know, call it stock-like volatility, but kind of stock-like returns to go along with it. Um, so it can be, and we've talked about this in a number of other places, it can be a really good diversifier. I just want to be clear portfolio. here, Bob. Are you talking about REITs? Are REITs? Or are you talking about like REITs real estate and, uh, as in a house? So I'm using like my data house. From, from REITs, but the correlation when you look at, you know, real estate prices as, you know, a city or a region, when you look at those types of indices from, you know, Case Schiller and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or excuse me, Schiller, uh, I don't think Case is involved in those, those real estate out. indices. <laughs> um, you know, the, the correlation between REITs and, you know, those those more specialized ones is, is actually really high. Um, you know, so you can use it, use them at least as proxies for each other. Um, and, you know, going to individual properties, obviously we then have a lot more concentration risk when you're buying a house or an apartment block or whatever it might happen to be. You know, you, you got then have the risk of, you know, your neighbor painting their house neon pink or whatever it might happen to be. Have you been um, talking to my neighbors, by the way? Because <laughs> Christmas well, is coming neighbor, up, and I go crazy. Yeah. Oh, God. That's, that does not <laughs> surprise me in the slightest. Um, but you know what we see when we look at the data around real estate is that there's no correlation between inflation and real estate. You know, When you run the numbers since you know, the late 70s, the correlation comes out to 0.004. That's just a really long way of saying zero. Um, and what that means is if you – a hedge should have – you know, you should get higher returns when the bad things happen. So in this case, we would want a high positive correlation. You know, When inflation is high, we want a high return on the asset that's going to hedge against inflation. Correlation to zero means that's not happening. Um, you know, you're going to get decent returns because real estate's a reasonable asset class to be in, but it's not hedging inflation. And, and I'll say this: when you want you want a correlation to zero when you're bringing in diversified assets yeah. into a multiple asset class portfolio, you don't want a, necessarily a negative correlation. You don't want a hundred percent like a no, correlation. No, you want the negative one. correlation. Well, yeah, but it's just the hard zero to find one. I, I meant like you want something that acts independently. <laughs> say like that. Yeah. And to me, that's a better kind of outcome. Yeah. No, if you're looking at diversification, the magic of diversification is when you have low or negative correlation asset classes with the rest of your stuff. And that's actually why we talk about with real estate as being something that's pretty reasonable, pretty good, pretty common to include in your portfolio. It has a really low correlation with basically everything. Uh, you know, stocks, bonds, apparently inflation. Um, and, you know, it can be a really, really good addition to a retirement-focused long-term portfolio. It ain't an infa- inflation hedge. This reminds me at some point, though, Bob, we should do something on real estate from the standpoint of people that buy properties. Yes. Because I think sometimes what gets overlooked is that these outsized returns are coming from leverage, not necessarily – there's you know, the, the return there. of the underlying itself. Yep. There's also always the conversation around, um, you know, rental income. 
you know, that's always a conversation that's worth having there as well. But, you know, we've kind of had our fun and, and pulled apart some of the stuff that, that doesn't work. Um, so now it's probably time to take a look at the stuff that does work. Um, and as Wade called out at the, at the top, you know, there's really kind of three big approaches um, that we can use. So let's start with investments, you know, using your risky assets. Um, the idea is, again, not, not an inflation hedge. You just, your investments ideally will outgrow inflation. You know, your, your expected return on your investments is higher than inflation. And as such, being able to support, uh, you know, a growing distribution to cover that inflation. There's no, no magic here. It's just, yeah, the returns are bigger. So you can take out more. Well, there's also the com- comment of stocks have pricing power. Like companies, mm-hmm. better said, companies have pricing power. And so how does that play into inflation? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's companies are the ones, you know, from a certain point of view, as we talked about last week, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff going into this, but from a certain point of view, companies are the ones charging those higher prices. They're bringing in that money um, that's uh, causing inflation is not the right terminology, but, you know, they're bringing in more revenue from the inflated prices. They're also paying it out in terms of, you know, all of the, the costs of the goods they're producing. Um, you know, but there's definitely a, a piece of that. And, you know, when you go in and start decomposing expected returns of any financial asset, whether that's stocks, bonds, whatever, um, inflation is definitely a piece of that. That is one of the inputs in everyone's pricing model. You know, how they think inflation will be moving from a number of different perspectives. Uh, and, and that's definitely something that goes in there. And, you know, one of the things that, that we see when we start looking at the data, you know, stocks, it's real obvious. You know, that's you're going to have over the long term, stocks returns are, are really, really noisy. Over the long term, no one would invest in stocks unless the expected return was above inflation, significantly above inflation. But even once we once we start looking at bonds, because very few retirees have a 100% stock portfolio, the real return, the inflation-adjusted return of you know, even one-month U.S. Treasury bills is still positive. You would still, over the long term, outperform inflation even if all of your money was in one month treasury bills just rolling over. Now, again, very few people would do that. You know, they're going to be in some sort of portfolio that probably is going to have a little more risk than one month US treasury bills, uh, otherwise known as the risk-free rate. But but that gets at just how strong and how powerful these investment tools can be in keeping you ahead of inflation. And Bob, though, that is still over a long-term time horizon. Absolutely. And actually the, the number you have here, the, the 0.3% real return was this pretty much the same as commodities too. So, but with yep. much less volatility. But I think when you're, we start talking about over different time horizons, what are the odds for these different asset classes to keep up yeah. with inflation? So yeah, that is, that is the bit. question because yeah. it's, yeah. it's one thing, <laughs> 
to just say, yeah, I can, on average, I'm going to beat inflation. But if when you go to spend that money, uh, you have not, you got a problem. Um, and, you know, one of the things we looked at, I mentioned we we did a workshop on this. We, we looked at some data from, from rolling returns, uh, you know, going all the way back to 1926 and basically saying. What, what know, does you, rolling returns mean? Yeah. And what we're doing is we're looking at different lengths of time starting at each individual month. So, you know, we have if we're, say, looking at one year rolling returns, you know, the data we're looking at starts in January 1926. Well, what happened from January 1926 to December 1926? And then February 1926 to uh, January 1927, all the way down the line. So effectively, what we're looking at is we're saying, if we were to pick a random month over this time period, what's likely to have happened? What would be the expected outcome? And, you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, let's say we're, we're using a 60-40 portfolio. So 60% S&P 500, 40% five-year U.S. Treasuries, kind of the, the prototypical, stereotypical retirement portfolio. If we're looking at one-year periods like that, that beat inflation 71% of the time uh, and had an average outperformance of inflation by, call it six and a quarter percent. You know, three years moves all the way up to 79%. Uh, and we can keep going, but over any uh, over a random 15-year period, there was close to a 96% chance that that 60-40 portfolio outperformed inflation by an average annual amount of, call it five and a third. You know, that's, that's a lot. So, so is it fair to say... Obviously, I don't think inflation. We just did just last week's episode, and you know, inflation is it's right now. It's at its long term average, you know, kind of thing. Yep. So it's not like going crazy. But let's say, I don't know, four months ago when uh, tensions were running high, you know, and so was inflation. Right. The reality is, if you're looking at this, you don't have to do anything special, exactly. or anything different. You're already t by having ultimately a multiple asset class portfolio. You're all, you're set. You don't mm -hmm. really need to go crazy. Or you, you, you sometimes we think if we're not doing something, we're not trying, if you will. Right. And when it comes to investing, Bob's Bob's uh, analogy about the soap. You know, just leave it alone. Because mm -hmm. the more you use it, the less of the more you move it around. The more you like, what's the the more you do something, the less you have. More, I, I generally say the more you touch it, the more you use it, the less of it you have. All right. So, uh, you know, think about it. Like inflation comes in. No, you, you don't need to do you don't need to do much, you know, if at all. Just main, maintain the discipline behind what you already have going into it. Now, that being said, there there are things you can do that explicitly protect your portfolio uh, from inflation. Um, so, you know, there are tips. But before but before giving that too, though, like I think something that people hear a lot is stocks are an inflation hedge. <laughs> this is probably really the point to to talk about that because it's in this context yeah. that that statement is being made. And and so from the data you provided that over all the rolling one year historical periods, stocks outperformed inflation 70 percent of the time. 
Over five-year periods, stocks outperformed inflation 77% of the time. Over Mm -hmm. 10-year periods, stocks outperformed inflation 87% of the time. Over 15-year periods, uh, stocks outperformed inflation 95% of the time. And that's the source of that sort of statement. Then it's really, well, (laughs) what do you do with that information? Is our stocks an inflation hedge or not? Or just can you kind of give us a little more color on yeah, so it, I guess it's a kind of a philosophical question Question of what do you think a hedge is? I don't think stocks are an inflation hedge. I just think they go up. And they go up <laughs> on average by more than inflation. I, um, I, I agree with Bob. I, I, and this goes back to my point about you have pricing power. They, they, just, they just outrun inflation no matter what. Yeah. And so, yeah, it doesn't necessarily go up when inflation's down or go down when inflation's up, you know, that kind of thing. From a hedging standpoint, it just it tends to outrun because the reality too is we just set all these numbers right, and uh, you can make the case well maybe that's just data mining right it just happens to hit because you know what Mickey Mantle's rookie card I'm going to take every <laughs> ten year period and see how that did relative to inflation and can we make a statement Mickey Mantle's rookie card outperforms inflation and that's a better hedge or, or whatnot. Well, not really, right? There's no economic reason. And so I I think we're laying the groundwork why stocks outperform inflation. There's a, there's it makes sense why it would do so. It's just it's not just because the data shows it, but I do agree with Bob that it depends, yeah, you can get into the semantics what does hedge really mean? It just outruns it in yeah. all kind of environments and you know what? That's good enough for me. Yeah, you, you get the effect of a hedge without a actual hedge. You, know, you get what you want out of your investments. You know, assuming you're comfortable spending from a risky asset. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the specifics are important here, but yeah, you can you know the higher returns of you know stocks and other financial assets allows you to you know increase your spending to account for whatever inflation happens to be doing. Curious if you should be looking at a Roth conversion or what a Roth conversion even is? Head over to mclaneam.com slash Roth to get McLean's free ebook, Is a Roth Conversion Right for You? And learn about when you might want to do a Roth conversion and when you might not. Just head over to mclaneam.com slash Roth to download your free ebook today. Yeah, and maybe in the context of the reset, like a way to interpret that, like we'll just take in the 10-year numbers. So over rolling 10-year periods, stocks do better than inflation 87% of the time. On average, stocks outperform inflation by 7% on an annual basis, 7.25%. But then stocks over a 10-year period, stocks underperform inflation 13% of the time. So if you're probability-based, you're more comfortable saying, yeah, there's a pretty good chance that over the next 10 years, stocks are going to outperform inflation. And so I can rely on that to help my assets to keep up and surpass inflation and provide real purchasing growth over time. If you're more safety first, the fact that there's a 13% that stocks are going to underperform inflation over the next 10 years uh, with that statement, again, just being these are the historical percentages around that. I'm not necessarily comfortable basing my retirement, at least my essential expenses, on something where there's a good chance, a 13% chance, whatever the good or not, 13% (laughs) chance that it will underperform inflation over the next 10 years. 
And, and then it's just a different mindset or preference about how you interpret those numbers and what you want to do in response. So that's really for the probability-based individual. And it's not so much any sort of forecast about what the stock market's going to do other than you're at least a lot more comfortable with the idea that your investments will outperform inflation and you can rely on that to fund your retirement spending. Absolutely. And, and okay. kind of that point is one of the ones that's really important that, you know, if you're using this, uh, if you kind of in that total return quadrant, you probably want to be thinking about variable distribution strategies here as well to account for mm-hmm. those years when the stock market doesn't or the, the financial market generally does not cooperate. Now, Bob, this is just I'm just trying to think of an extreme example here and get your take on it. And so, and Wade, chime in. You may have to dip into your bag of Williams, Jennings, Bryant quotes and and things like that with regards (laughs) to your cross of gold here. Uh, But, okay, so what happened in like pre-war Germany or something like that when inflation was just crazy and stocks didn't work? Why didn't stocks work? You know what I mean? What happens in in crazy situations like that? I mean, the country was falling apart. No, I, I, know, point, I know. The I'm economy just, just doesn't work anymore. So I, I'm trying to get to that person listening, thinking, yeah, but sometimes stocks are just hell in a handbasket and you need to own things. You know, that, that kind of. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If they, wait, I, I don't know if you have a more eloquent way of saying what I'm about <laughs> to, but yeah, if the country's falling apart, you want to own that ingot of gold um, rather than a claim on Tesla um, and the company is not going to be around any further. Sure. But, you know, to the extent that we live in a functioning economy, you know, and that we think that all of these companies, all of these financial assets are effectively going concerns, they're going to be around, they're going to be continuing to operate and for bonds, you know, pay out. Um, yeah, that's baked into the price. You know, the, those inflation expectations are baked into the price. And just with hyperinflation environments, it's usually the nominal bonds, government bonds, they're going to be completely wiped out. Stocks, at least over a significant holding period, may eventually keep up with inflation in, in a manner that bonds never will. So there yeah, so, will be the case for stocks so, in that regard. So, so what I'm trying to get at to, to some extent, and this is, again, for the extreme people that, that are thinking, well, the government's going crazy or whatever. Look, as long as there's rule of law, property protection, you know, this sort of movement towards innovation where money is greasing the wheels of, of capitalism, I, I think those kind of fears are somewhat unwarranted and stocks should be fine. And then one thing that uh, that's also worth calling out, and I started to do, was that there is um, you know ways that you can do explicit inflation protection within your investment portfolio using tips and and I bonds to a little, little bit of lesser extent. Um, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, so, and that's just the distinction. There is we're not. Right. I, I mentioned nominal bonds a moment ago. Those are they give you a fixed payout. Yeah. Uh, tips and I-bonds give you a real interest rate on top of the actual realized inflation experience. So when inflation goes up, the return goes up to keep pace with inflation. 
Absolutely. And, and the reason I bring those up is, you know, we've been talking about, you know, investment portfolios and include, you know, a relatively high, either just 100% stocks, we've been talking about the S&P 500 index, or, you know, a re- you know that 60-40 portfolio, which includes a good chunk of stocks, good chunk of high returning assets in there, you know, for those who, you know, don't have a huge amount of, you know, risk in the portfolio. They don't have a huge amount of return in that portfolio. You, know, you may want to include something that very specifically tracks inflation. Um, and, you know, that can be a really, really nice tool to kind of take some of that inflation risk off of the table. Because, you know, Wade, your, your seven risks of retirement, inflation is one of them. Um, you know, one of the questions we always ask with regards to your asset allocation and you're thinking about tilting towards or away from certain types of risk is, are you more exposed to this risk than the average investor? Well, if we're talking about inflation and you're someone focused on retirement, the answer is yes. Uh, absent some really, really weird situation, the answer is yes. So tilting towards some sort of inflation protection can make a whole lot of sense. That can be really, really powerful. And, you know, also getting back to the psychology aspect of it, really, really comforting that, you know, even in a down year where, you know, things aren't going against things uh, or going against your portfolio, I should say, you still have this piece that's going to be protected from inflation. Now, the one proviso, um, and Wade, you know, I know you and I both got a ton of questions about this a few years back, is, you know, I believe it was in 2021 where we had the, uh, the bond market did not do particularly hot. One of the things I always call out with tips is tips are still bonds. They're bonds with inflation protection. Uh, we had, I believe it was just over 9% inflation in 2021. But the bond market got creamed. And if you were holding long-term tips, you still lost a lot of money. It was in like those over tips. 20% or something. Right? I think I think the bond market was down 20%. So the long-term over. tips lost, yeah. you know, somewhere in the teens. Um, they're bonds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to do what the bond market does just with that inflation adjustment put on top. Um, so that is something that, and there were a lot of people really surprised when they looked at their statements and saw that type of thing, because uh, they were thinking, great, high inflation, my tips are going to do awesome. Uh, doesn't doesn't quite work like that. The, the only thing I would say you to know, that is, is the, yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I was going. Uh, bond fund versus individual bonds. The reality yeah. is they're priced, if individual, bond, individual bonds face had that same volatility, but you can hold it to maturity and you'll be kind of, you know, fine. But yeah. Yeah. Whenever interest rates go up, you'll wish you could buy a bond at the new higher interest rate. But if you're a retiree and you're holding a bond to maturity, you know what you're going to get. And, and yeah. even though on paper, it may be worth less because interest rates have risen, uh, that diminishing value will return to return to its full value by the maturity date. And assuming the bond doesn't default, you'll be made whole and get what you expected. 
Yeah. Details. Yeah, no, I mean, this is one of my favorite <laughs> semantic arguments. The bond's going to, even though you're intending to hold it to maturity, the market price is still moving. It's just yeah, you it's don't like your house. care about the market price at that point. Yeah. You're, you don't sell your house every day. If you're a bond market trader, you'll get fired. But if you're a retiree. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I mean, that's kind of the approach that, you know, that generalized investment approach, that's really kind of how people in the total return type of quadrant are going to be approaching it. And, you know, to a certain extent, all of the quadrants, very, very few people truly go out and annuitize everything or buy a bond ladder that covers everything. You know, the vast, vast majority of folks have some level of risky assets and some level of income coming from their risky assets. And, you know, the whole idea here is that you can use your investments, not again as an inflation hedge, but to outgrow inflation so that you are above and beyond and you can support, you know, whatever distributions you need to make from there to account for, you know, whatever inflation has been doing and still maintain that level of purchasing power for yourself. Okay, so so Bob, just as as a, as a recap and wait as a recap, we we spoke with three things that don't really work as advertised, and so far we're up to one thing that <laughs> that like, that that sort of fits. I, I think the this bill. is how it is, works is that, for us. Yeah, is that a correct yeah. uh, way? Yeah, the three things that didn't work were the commodities, the crypto, and. You had real estate. Yes, if I was listening, real estate on that list. Uh, things. Did you that say if I was tech- listening? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I hope you're I listening. I'm not. Well, well, it's I definitely the sarcastic professor here today. So. But uh, things that do work, we've talked about social security. We have talked about the idea of a stock market or otherwise a diversified portfolio with a hefty allocation of stocks. We've talked talked about tips and I bonds. Uh, we did mention another one. I think we'll save this for a, another episode because there's a lot to unpack. But annuities and, and the mm-hmm. role they can play in all this as well. So why don't we just save the discussion on annuities since there is a lot to unpack with it, uh, whether it does or how it actually fits in with this inflation discussion? But yeah, from today's episode, you've got your stocks, you've got your tips and I bonds, you've got your social security. And, and Wade are... got his inbox to zero. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> All right. It's an ongoing struggle. But, but we'll pick up with annuities and also with more of a tour through the retirement income styles and how each can address inflation and retirement with the next episode. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Retire with Style. Thank you, everyone. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.